Welcome, Valuable PhD, to another Cheeky Scientist radio show. As always, you can join us for our next live show on our Facebook page where we stream the show live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just go to facebook.com forward slash my cheeky scientist. We also stream the show live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on our Cheeky Scientist YouTube page. This is the radio show for PhDs who want to excel in industry. If you want to learn more about Cheeky Scientist or our program, the Cheeky Scientist Association, you can go to phdsgethired.com. Just enter your name and email address and we will send you all of our free materials about transitioning into industry. What is the Cheeky Scientist Association? It is the world's largest training program for PhDs by PhDs that includes a complete blueprint of how to transition into industry and a private job referral network only of PhDs in industry and transitioning into industry. If you already have an industry job or if you want to learn more about developing your business acumen for industry, you can learn about our Scientist MBA Advanced Program at phdsgethired.com. We have another great show lined up for you today, so we're going to jump in now. Furthermore, the equation E is equal to mc squared. And here's the discovery. Welcome to another Cheeky Scientist radio show. I am your host, Isaiah Henkel, uh, with Cheeky Scientist. Great to have you here. We are talking about how to add value to employers, even when you feel like you don't have any value to add. We have a great show lined up. We're going to go to the Show Me the Data section. I'm going to bring on AJ Jacobs, who's a four-time New York Times best-selling author, editor-in-chief at Esquire. He's been on Conan O'Brien. He has organized incredible events for a, a variety of his books. His new book is out called Thanks a Thousand. We'll be bringing him on. Then we're bringing on Donna Sardula, the world's number one LinkedIn specialist, to help you stop being invisible on LinkedIn. <laughs> So we're going to move forward now, and we're going to bring on Jeanette McConnell for the Show Me the Data section add-on. Hi, Jeanette. How are you? Hey, good. How are you? Good to see you. Great bow tie choice. Thank appreciate you. Appreciate the effort. Uh, so we have Jeanette on, and today's Show Me the Data section, not a big surprise, is going to focus on adding value. It's going to focus on gratefulness, but not in a fluffy way, in a way that actually is practical for your job search. And... And we're also going to talk about a shift, a big shift that's been happening between satisfaction rates of PhDs in academia versus industry. So for those of you listening by audio, I'm going to read this off. I'm going to read the title of the article. It's simply called Satisfaction in Science, and it's a recent Nature article. And the headline is 79% of respondents in industry said that they are somewhat or extremely satisfied with their work-life balance um, in their career compared to only 68% of respondents in academia. So that word only that I just used here, we shared this on LinkedIn and Facebook, et cetera, earlier in the week. And as always, a lot of PhDs, you know, we like to dig in and find the, the little words and stuff that we want clarification on. And the use of the word only 68% uh, was, was brought up for discussion because it's 79%, 68%. Like it might seem like it's similar, not really a big difference, but why is this 
significant, Jeanette, and then we can go through the, the actual figure. Um, I mean, it's significant because that's actually, I think that's a pretty big difference to think about the fact that nearly 80% of people in industry are like really satisfied with their work-life balance. That's pretty impressive. Yes. And also what the article goes into is that this is recognizing that there's been a bit of a switch um, where used to be that people were more satisfied in academia than they were in industry. Uh, but the trend it's, keeps trending towards the, op the opposite way. Mm. And so this gap is sort of getting bigger, right? You're seeing a, yeah. a change there. No, no. And this is really the first year in the article they talk about where satisfaction rates were higher in academia for PhDs than in industry. So it's actually switched. And it is, I mean, this is a, a pretty big difference. It's more than 10%. So now PhDs are more satisfied in industry. And we can tell you, you know, when, when Cheeky Scientist even started, you know, five, six years ago, we would go to seminars and say, okay, how many of you are satisfied here? You want to be professors? It was, you know, eight out of 10. Um, and now when we ask, it's like two out of 10, it's flip-flopped. And we say, how many of you are planning on going into industry? It was like two out of 10 before, and now it's eight out of 10. So it, there really is a shift going on. And, and really what the, the graph associated with this is looking at is it's looking at current salary in academia and industry, and then those satisfaction rates, right? Jeanette, so maybe you can walk us through this figure. Um, it starts with less than 15,000 a year and goes all the way up to 200 plus thousand a year. And I think this is just specifically looking at salaries per those respondents who said they're satisfied or not satisfied, right? Um, yeah, so this is just looking at the salaries of academia versus industry. They didn't break this down based on satisfaction, this graph. It's just comparing the two areas. Right. Um, yeah, and so you can see that the bar in the light orange is academia. I don't know why they chose two oranges. Yellow, and maybe? Dark, <laughs> and the dark orange is um, industry. Yes. And then um, the general trend is that as you get towards higher salaries, you're getting more people in industry having those high salaries. Yes. Right? So if you take the two extremes, so like less than $15,000, um, there were, um, let's see, in industry, 10%. there was less than 10% of respondents said that, right? But I mean, the biggest one is, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. So, I mean, the, the numbers we always talk about is overall the average in academia, you're looking at like 45,000. And then in industry, it's about 90,000. And if you look at these graphs, once you get to like, once you get up to 80,000 to 109,000 per year, it really just drops off in academia, like very few people, but then it starts to increase in industry. Um, so nothing, nothing surprising here, but I think it's important to show that, you know, their, their sample size was across the board. There's people making all different types of salaries. And then of course we see the trend that we expect where people make a lot more money in industry. But I don't yeah, think exactly. And you, you mentioned that it was a huge sample population. So there was um, more than 4,000 people with graduate degrees in this survey. So right. that's a huge number. That's a really a large like survey population. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think a, a big point here is that, and a lot of people say this to us, well, PhDs don't just care about money. Exactly. I mean, of course, we see the trend where people make more money in industry. We know that. And we always say you can make good money and do meaningful work, right? They're, neither one's mutually exclusive. The point here is that there was people satisfied across the entire spectrum of salaries, right? So there were people that were satisfied, uh, um, happy with their work, feeling like they were doing meaningful work, grateful for their jobs, no matter what salary they were making, they weren't linked. And I think that is important. 
So the next figure we want to go to, and this is going to be, uh, we're going to get increasingly more on point with our theme today. Um, this was, the title of it was Counting Blessings Versus Burdens, an Experimental Investigation of Gratitude and Subjective Well-Being on, day, on Daily Life. And this is from Berkeley, and it's a, it's a fun table with lots of different rows, and we'll break this down a little bit. So there's two tables we're looking at, right, Jeanette? What's the difference between the table on the left and the table on the right? Yeah, so the table on the left looked at the subjective well-being of people in the different categories, so people who were asked to be grateful about stuff and people who weren't. And then the table on the right looks at more concrete measures. So like how refreshed were you? What was your sleep like? Were you in pain? Those mm. kinds of more concrete measures. And, and what it is, so, so in the table on the left, you know, some of the, the titles here in the table are life as a whole, your upcoming week, connected with others, right? And there's a, gra a gratitude column versus a control. Right, and then there's a significance column. And then in the table on the right, it's again, those more practical things like how many hours of sleep did you get? How refreshed? Because some of us feel, let's face it, a little bit more grateful if we've slept eight hours versus two. Uh, you know, uh, how refreshed do you feel? Are you in any pain? Probably gonna feel a little less grateful maybe if you're in pain. Uh, pain interference, exercise, functional status. So did, did the results challenge some of our, I guess, our, our, our thinking about this? Was there any surprises here in terms of when you feel the most grateful um, versus not? Yeah, so actually what the, the study was sort of looking at using gratitude as a way to shift these ideas. So mm. if you practice gratitude, are you more satisfied or do you feel better, right? Yeah. So in the graph on the left, um, they asked the people to rate on a scale, right? Like how, um, you know, what is your well-being for your whole life? What do mm. you feel about the upcoming week? And the higher the number, the more, you know, but the better they felt about their lives. Yes. And then you can see the gratitude and the control column. So in gratitude, they were actually asked this sentence that's below the figure, um, right? They were asked, you know, there's many things in our lives, both large and small, that we could be grateful about. Think back over your week and write down some things you're grateful for. And so when people did that, they actually ended up feeling more like satisfied or happier about their lives. And that's reflected in that life as a whole where you see gratitude is 5.54 and the control is just uh, 4.8. Yes. And then the F value over there demonstrates that those two populations are in fact different and there's a P value of the significance. So this is, so this is great. So people were basically asked to think about things they were grateful for, write them down. It was five things to write down. And then people who did that felt better, more satisfied overall with their entire life, their upcoming week, their connection with others than the people who didn't do that. And it was statistically yeah. significant. We have p-values here and everything, right? Exactly. And then for the more practical things, it looks like the trend was there for the first two hours of sleep, how refreshed on waking, but then it kind of shifted a little bit with physical pain and pain um, interference. Yeah, correct. So you didn't, they didn't really see any significant value, like significance in what gratitude could do for those in this particular study for right. those things on the bottom, but they did note that you got more sleep and that your sleep was better, right? You felt more refreshed yes. when you like had this gratitude mentality. Fantastic. And we've seen a lot of studies on this where before bed, if you think about a couple of things you're grateful about, you sleep better, you sleep longer, you get more REM sleep. It's pretty fascinating. And we could go down that rabbit hole, but I want to get to a few other studies here before we bring AJ on. Um, so this next this next article is coping style as a psychological resource of gr grateful people, right? So you're probably thinking I'm a PhD. 
I have a lot to cope with. I'm stressed out. On two radio shows ago, I think it was, there's you know, more stress than ever for PhDs in academia, more stress than ever for people in general in academia, way higher than the rest of the population, anxiety and depression. Okay, so how do you cope with this? Your school maybe has different coping mechanisms, like some people have, uh, they have these different uh, projects or classes or programs. It can be anything from you know, meditating to have one of those stress balls. But what about gratitude? Okay, so this is from the Journal of Social and Clinical Psychology. It's a large table here. We have a variety of, of uh, activities on the far left column, use of instrumental social support, use of emotional social support, active coping, behavioral disengagement. This is what I did in grad school, just disengage. Pretend <laughs> I was somebody, somewhere else. Positive uh, reinterpretation of, and growth, self-blame, did a lot of that too, <laughs> denial planning. And then you have sample one, sample two, right, under this descriptive statistics uh, header. And we're looking at the mean and the standard deviation, and we're going to go through the trends here. Don't worry. I just want to, for those of you listening by audio, I want you to have an, somewhat of an understanding of what we're talking about. And then finally, under correlations, we have gratitude of sample one and sample two, and we're looking at uh, statistical significance as well. So what were these two different samples, Jeanette, and then what were they looking at specifically in terms of those, um, those different activities that I mentioned, whether it's active coping or self-blame? Yep. Okay, so the two samples are just like two sort of replicates of this experiment done with different groups of people. Um, and then they looked at how did the gratitude level of these people correlate with how they coped with stress or with difficult situations. Yes. So if the person was grateful, did they use instrumental social support or did they use behavioral disengagement, mm. right? So how were those two things correlated with one another? And what they found is I put those green and red dots, as you yes. can see that the ones with the green dots um, were correlated with gratefulness and yes. gratitude. Um, whereas when people were not grateful or they had a bit of like a negative outlook on, on things, they were more likely to use these more harmful coping strategies, yes. um, such as, you know, self-blame and denial and just disengaging, which doesn't really get yes. you anywhere. So, yeah. so we were, we, they didn't go as far as causation, but they did where they were able to correlate gratefulness with the, the, these different activities. So, you know, the, the first few we talked about use of instrumental social support, use of emotional social support, active coping, right. To, you know, being proactive, these things were correlated to a grateful state, you know, gratitude, gratitude would, would uh, the grateful people, we're linked to having these coping strategies, whereas behavioral disengagement was not correlated to gratefulness. Self-blame, denial, and you probably know this, if you are blaming yourself, you're not feeling very grateful. But if you can switch that around, and that's what we're gonna talk a little bit about yeah. today, if you can switch that around and start to be grateful, even for something small, it can take you down a path on, on a journey that's gonna reframe the way you're thinking about things, it will actually help you in terms of not just your mood, but your performance. And I think that's the most exciting thing here. So, Jeanette, I think that's all we have time for before we bring AJ on. Thank you very much. For you. I want to bring on our first guest, very special guest, AJ Jacobs. He is a New York Times bestselling author whose titles include Drop Dead Healthy. Love that title. The Year of Living Biblically. My Life as an Experiment. The Know-It-All. And It's All Relative. As well as his new book, which I'll show here again. Thanks a thousand. Love the book. Jumps right off of the bookshelf. Uh, great book, and uh, he is a contributor to NPR, has written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, Entertainment Weekly, 
He lives in New York City with his wife, Julie, and their children. You can go to ajjacobs.com. I love his website. He's always doing creative things. His articles are fantastic. You can follow him on Twitter at, at AJ Jacobs as well. And because we're talking about LinkedIn a little bit later, you can find him on LinkedIn. So hopefully this isn't the, the hug of death for you, AJ, but um, <laughs> you have a lot of PhDs reaching out and saying hi. I would love it. Great to have you on. How are thank you? Thank you for having me, of course. Uh, and thank you for doing that segment before me. I learned a lot. I love having the numbers to back up the intuition yeah. that gratitude is super helpful. Yeah, we were excited about it because, you know, of course, we, we were able to read your book before and this journey you went on for gratefulness and then to constantly see all of this quantitative data that says, yeah, this is why it works is, is fantastic. Um, so maybe that's a good place to start. So what, why did you want to write a book on, on gratitude? Well, it was partly because I had read all these studies, how important gratitude is to your, to fighting depression, to your sleep, to eating better, uh, all sorts of uh, positive correlations. So uh, uh, I thought one way to do it would be to go to the extreme and try to thank everyone I could because the we take so many people for granted in the little things in our life. So I chose a cup of coffee and I said, I'm gonna thank every single person who actually makes that coffee possible. And if you think about it, that's a lot of people. That is hundreds, <laughs> thousands of people. Cause you don't just have the farmer and the barista, though you have to thank them of course. But you know, it, it's like six degrees of, uh, mm. of gratitude. Yet there's the guy who drove the truck but he couldn't have driven the truck with the coffee beans without the road. So you gotta thank the guy who built the road, the guy who painted the yellow lines on the road so the, the truck didn't veer into traffic. And it just goes on and on. And I loved it because it was revelatory uh, to realize the connections and the, mm. the networks we live in. Yeah, and I think, you know, for those of you who have yet to read uh, AJ's books, and I hope you do soon, he takes a, a great approach. And the first time I saw AJ speak on stage, I, this part always stuck out at me. Like most people, they write a book and they go like very deep and AJ likes to go very broad. And if you've noticed some of his titles, like a year of living biblically, he did try to do everything that was in the Bible, uh, drop dead healthy, tried to try everything that you could possibly do that has been prescribed to live a healthier life. And so here he went again, super broad, traveled all over, found everyone he could possibly find related to making this one thing happen. And I, I think it, it's a great way to kind of reframe how you approach, especially for us, most of us here, PhDs who tend to go very narrow and deep, like our very specific <laughs> field. I'm a computational analytical chemist. Like start right. thinking more broadly in terms of these diverse networks. And so what, you know, on that topic, AJ, what, what have you found from writing this book and other books that has changed your perspective in terms of going broad, in terms of the networks of gratefulness? What, what were some of the surprising things that came up? Well, I am a big fan of going broad and, interdisciplinary thinking. Um, not that I'm very good at any particular discipline, but uh, I do enjoy, and I think some of the most creative ideas come out of it. Um, and speaking of scientists, Isaac Newton, well-known scientist, his, his theory of gravity was partly inspired by his work with alchemy, which is a total pseudoscience, and it's crazy. But in alchemy, they talk about magical forces working at a distance. And it opened his mind to, you know what, maybe that's something that could be uh, what happens. And that's how he came up with gravity. So even if the other discipline is kind of hooey, 
<laughs> yeah, and let's be clear. A lot of you are probably thinking that almost every discipline, but yours is hooey. Uh, so, but maybe, <laughs> maybe give it a chance, right? Like I always say, start simple. Get a magazine subscription to architecture or to art in general or, or you know, business investing. Any, it could be anything. It'll just make you make connections in your mind in a, in a new way. Yeah, I love that. And, and since, uh, you know, I, I want to be practical as much as I can, um, you know, gratitude and connections are super practical. And one mm. study that jumped out at me that, uh, that you didn't discuss yet, I don't think, is that um, it was by a Harvard researcher that something as simple as writing a thank you note to the person who interviewed you and being really specific with the praise and, and mentioning what you guys talked about in the interview, that doubled the response. Uh, and it's just one study, and I know to be skeptical, but still, it's, it's such a, I love it because it's such, um, it, it suggests that this thing that we, our parents always told us is, True, could be scientifically true. A simple act of writing a thank you note. Yeah, and we can 100% back that up. I mean, for those of you listening, you send a thank you note, it, study after study shows X percentage, and it's a large percentage, 50% above uh, increase in your chances of being hired. Right, and I'm actually doing uh, uh, analog notes nowadays. I am, um, as part of promoting this book, I agreed to write a thousand handwritten personalized thank you notes wow. to readers of my books and articles. And the response has been lovely and overwhelming because mm. it's so unusual. It cuts through the clutter to have an actual physical object. Agreed. You know, and so write, you know, if you're trying to make that decision, do I just write an email to the people I just met on this site visit? You know, you're there for eight hours. Write that physical letter and, and the, the results, they, they will pay off. And it doesn't get more practical than that. And I, I wanted to continue down that line because you must have had to do a lot of networking, a lot of cold calling, a lot of follow-up thank you. So what was it like as you went through this journey to find the person who created the paint on the roads so the person could drive the coffee beans to make your a cup of coffee? I'm sure the networks were amazing, but how did you, how did you reach out? Was there any surprises on, did you get into a, did you find a process that worked really well in terms of reaching out to these new people? Did you thank them in a certain way after you met with them? Um, any, any sort of uh, Sure. There. Well, yeah, it was, I tried to thank a thousand people either by email or in, preferably in person or on the phone. And uh, as you can imagine, sometimes it's awkward and people are like, you know, what is this? Is this a pyramid scheme? Uh, what are you selling me? But the majority, if you go in open-hearted and, you know, uh, that with, with actual genuine gratitude or genuine curiosity, I find curiosity is one of the most mm. powerful networking tools. Like if you are really interested in what they have to say, mm. and, uh, then, um, then it worked. And that we, I got so much, so many people who were grateful for my thanks. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, I am an introvert by nature, but I have forced myself to act as if I'm like an actor in my own life, acting <laughs> as if I'm granted, I'm a, an extrovert. And, and it works, I think. Mm. And you just got to realize that rejection, you know, is just such a big part of it. And, mm. it, you know, when I was 
when I was, I never went to grad school, but when I was applying for my first jobs, the rejection rate was just astounding. And uh, it was hard to go on, but I, uh, I was able to adopt some uh, delusional optimism and uh, convince myself, you know what? I have something to offer these people. I don't mm. know if I did. But if you frame it that way, then, uh, then that will give you a little motivation. Actually, that's what I was thinking when you were talking uh, about reframing. Mm. I love that idea. Because when I was um, researching this book, uh, I thought a lot about reframing. And one very powerful reframe for, for the business world is to reframe your job as being part of a greater whole that will help the world. Mm. So there's yes. a famous story of JFK, John F. Kennedy, when he went to go visit NASA. And uh, this is not apocryphal, it apparently happened. He saw um, a janitor and asked the janitor, what do you do? And the janitor said, Mr. President, I am helping put a man on the moon. Wow. And I love that. And to me, that's that is helpful when mm. you're looking for a job or even before you get a job, because if you can frame it as the work I'm doing, the science I'm doing is very important and it's gonna help humanity. So I am going to keep working until I get a position. Uh, to me, mm. that's so motivating. I love that. You know, and, and again, you're really, you're just reframing the reason why you're doing something. And we talked a little bit about this yesterday. If, if you're just thinking about, I need to get this job to pay bills, it might be true, but it's, you're going to burn out a little bit faster than, and you know, that rejection might hit a little bit harder than if you're like, I'm going through this and facing rejection and putting myself out there in these maybe uncomfortable for a little bit networking and, you know, scenarios so I can get my, my science or my engineering to help the world. Exactly. Um, and I think that's fascinating. And I do that with exercise. I mean, I hate exercising, but the way I reframe it is, you know, I want to be around for my kids' weddings or whatever they decide. Maybe they reject marriage. That's fine. But I want to be around a little longer for them. So exercising for them, to me, is more motivating than exercise. You know, I don't care if I have abs, which I'm never going to get, but I do want to <laughs> live uh, a little longer. So to yeah. me, again, very powerful. I only want to use a cane, not one of those walkers with uh, <laughs> <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> the It's an ambition. Yeah. I like, yeah. I like That's Fantastic. And again, I, I just, I think what AJ is saying here is amazing. We just talked yesterday about how if we, there was a study on this, it, it was, uh, it, it came out saying that if you are, there's four key reasons for networking. And one of them was career advancement. And it was actually the least motivating of all of them um, in terms of getting people to network more. What was the most motivating was knowledge, curiosity. Mm -hmm. That's why informational interviews, just talking to somebody who has a job that you have and asking questions and being really interested, that will get people to talk to you, increase your network. And it doesn't make you feel like you're trying to do something transactionally because sure. you're just doing knowledge for knowledge's sake, right? Right. And I was just, um, I've become friendly with Tim Ferriss over the years who wrote self-help books like The 4-Hour Workweek. And I was on a show just yesterday, actually. Uh, but he, I asked him how he became so successful because he came, his first book was a bestseller out of the, out of the gate, which is crazy unusual. Yes. And he said his secret was he would go to, conferences and approach people with genuine he would approach people he admired with genuine curiosity and ask them 
interesting questions about their job and life. Mm. And then he said, eventually they got bored of talking to them about themselves and they would ask him what he was up to and he would tell them and get them interested. And I thought, wow, that is smart. Fascinating. Yeah. So for all of you listening, that, there's always that time. And we say it a lot when they say, well, enough about me, right? Because they feel guilty. They've been talking the whole time. What about you? You, saw, you hope that happens. It doesn't <laughs> always happen. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> well, thank you, AJ. This was fantastic. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for talking to us here. I'm, I'm grateful for your new book. And, um, I'm grateful to be on your excellent show. So thank you. You're welcome. So check out AJ's book. Thanks a thousand. We will be talking about it for the rest of the show. Please go to ajjacobs.com as well. Connect with them on LinkedIn and you can follow them on Twitter too. Thank you, AJ. Thank you. For our next guest, who is Donna Serdula, who is the world's number one LinkedIn makeover specialist. We're going to bring her on very soon. I'm going to do an introduction of her. I'm going to change my screen to show her bio. And then we're going to bring Donna Sardula on live. Please thank Mary. We're going to have Mary come back very shortly. Um, shortly after the interview. Let me make sure my screen's being shared here. All right, here we go. We're going to bring Mary back on to go through a couple more LinkedIn profiles after we go through um, what's important with Donna. So very excited to bring on Donna Sardula again. Donna loves LinkedIn, lots of enthusiasm. Hi, Donna, I'll, share, I'll show you full screen here in a second, but I wanna, I wanna give you your due here. So Donna loves LinkedIn. She's the author of the popular book, LinkedIn Makeover, Professional Secrets to a Powerful LinkedIn Profile, and a new, the new book, Just LinkedIn for Dummies. Is that right? That's the title. I think I can remember that one. That's right. Uh, and then we have, uh, back in 2009, she decided to break free from corporate America and set out on her own path. She started Vision Board Media with the goal to help businesses and individuals leverage the internet in their quest to market themselves. She is the world's number one LinkedIn profile optimization, optimization, and I would even say networking expert. She founded LinkedIn Makeover, where she helps individuals from around the world brand themselves successfully. Make sure you go to LinkedIn uh, and look up Donna Sardula. You'll find her easily because she's a master of LinkedIn and connect with her there. I'll show her profile very quickly here. Notice all of the goodies on here and the videos and the medias. Uh, media, we'll have time to talk about that later, but welcome, Donna. How are you? I'm great, Isaiah. How are you? I'm good. And that's your book in the background that you were pointing to, right? Yeah, there it is. There it is. That was its LinkedIn. Did I say it right? Profile optimization for LinkedIn dummies. Profile optimization for dummies. That's right. Yes, Mr. Joel Elad wrote LinkedIn for dummies. I wish I wish that was my oh, calling card. Um, but I did the profile optimization, and I just did the. Uh, I was the technical editor on LinkedIn Sales Navigator for that's dummies. Right. Right. Well, congratulations. Uh, it's good. It's great to see your uh, your network expand broadly, like we talked with uh, AJ about, and uh, we are grateful to have you here with us. Um, I think you've, you, I think you hold the record. It's like <laughs> SNL, right? Like I think John Goodman or somebody holds the record for the most time hosting. You have the record for Cheeky Scientist Radio for being on with us as the guest more hey, than anybody else. I, I love my PhDs. That's all I can say. <laughs> well, thank you. And, and we know we've had hundreds and hundreds, thousands at this point of, of, of PhDs get access, you know, to your materials and your templates. And it's just revolutionized their job search because now they stop being invisible on LinkedIn and, yeah. and they're visible. Um, so I wanted to talk about a few different things and maybe we could start, I guess, a, more broadly first and mm -hmm. talk just about getting noticed on LinkedIn. I know that there's little 
things and tagging tricks and stuff that change frequently. And then there's kind of those core principles of increasing activity. What can you tell us? What's up to date now? What's working on LinkedIn in terms of just getting noticed? Yeah. No, you know, I got to tell you at one time, you just needed a good looking profile and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> Those were the days, my friend, but they're, they're long gone. You've got to splash around. LinkedIn is this like ginormous ocean. And, and if you want to get noticed, you, you've got to splash around. And what does that mean? That means you've got to like, you've got to comment, you've got to share, and you've got to post. You've got to use LinkedIn as that social networking site. Mm. And so that's going to be really, really, really important. And I always say, you know, a lot of us get overwhelmed at the thought of being that cre the creator of content. It's yeah. scary. Mm. So don't be the creator of content out of the gate because it is hard. Mm. Instead, be the curator of content, mm. of good content. And so what that means is work at just gathering good stuff together. And you can do that simply from using your phone, logging in and just going through your news, your, your LinkedIn feed and seeing what other people are talking about and liking, commenting and sharing on that material. Once you get good with that, uh, start putting out some Google alerts, finding things that are going on in your industry, have, have Google send that information to you. And what you think is interesting and good, share that. And you don't have to be the creator of the content. You just need to be that curator and people will still see that you're the one that came up with it. And uh, there's some credibility to that. Yeah, and I think uh, especially as PhDs, we overthink it a bit. We're like, I have to write a peer reviewed journal article <laughs> on LinkedIn to be taken seriously and we, we make it too big. I do this all the time. But you're just saying if I like some people's posts, if I comment, like you could be the only person to comment. This person's gonna recognize somebody actually yeah. actually commenting on their post, actually caring, right? Yeah, and then to share it, oh my goodness, you are then promoting them to mm -hmm. your network. That's huge. And then if you wanna take that extra little bit of step, just find some interesting links to articles mm. and, and post that with a little, with maybe a little blurb that says why you find, found it interesting. You know, maybe po like find a really interesting quote and using, use that quote as the, as the context. Simple mm. things like that yeah. are great. And then here, here's, here's the biggie now. All right, guys, pen and paper. This is this, I'm gonna come up with some gold right now. <laughs> so you start doing this. Little by little, you're going to start seeing that people are reacting. People mm. start to interact. Now, what most people do is they just accept it as awesome and they don't do anything. But you guys are going to do something different. You are going to have, maybe, maybe it's a notebook. Maybe it's analog like this. Or maybe it's digital. Maybe it's your, like an Evernote journal. Mm. And everyone who starts to comment on your posts, mm. people who start to share, you, you grab their name and you put, put it into a list. Then, then once you do start to create some interesting content or when you really wanna get something going, you now have a list of people that you can tag into your posts. These are people who have already shown interest in you in the past mm. and by tagging them, do we know what tagging is? I hope we Maybe do. You should break it down. I think we know every social media is a little bit different. So what, but LinkedIn's fairly recent, right? So yeah, what, this how, is do, how do we tag? Recent. So if we want to tag, so when you go into LinkedIn and you're, you create a post, you hit the plus sign when you're on your phone or you just go to the very top and say, you know, what's on your mind. You click up in there, that, that, that top area within LinkedIn 
on the desktop, when you start to type, you can hit the at symbol and then you start to type in the person's name. Hmm. And as you start to type in a person's name, LinkedIn is going to try to figure out who do you mean? Who is this person? They're going to give you a list of all the people within your network who match that name. You click that person's name that you meant, maybe Isaiah, maybe me. <laughs> and by doing that, what you're doing is you're creating a dynamic link. You're hmm. notifying that person, hey, I've just mentioned you in a post, you should come over and check it out. Mm. And that brings, that drives traffic. So yeah. it's a really great way to get noticed, to splash around in a very strategic fashion. Yeah, and I think what a lot of PhDs have a hard time with, and I had a hard time with this too, is like, okay, I'm gonna like somebody's LinkedIn profile comment, how's that gonna get me hired? But what I want you to know is, we have seen people get hired this way, where you track it all the way back and it started with just pinging them, which means just liking just a certain touch point, commenting on one post that started a conversation. There was some follow-up and it led to a referral or a job, right? That's it. It all starts somewhere. And it's just, it's so easy. How many people's posts could you like in five minutes a day or comment on in five minutes a day? Probably dozens. And, you know, and if you think about it that way, it's, it's, it is kind of weird to just go up to a person and say, Hey, Want to be my friend? Hey, give me a job. We know that doesn't work, right. but, but there's a buildup. And what we're talking about, this is that little drip feed, drip feed marketing mm. that takes us to a bigger relationship. It's these little tiny things that, that mm. really do, they add up into something huge. Yeah, and believe it or not, if you haven't realized this yet, you are marketing yourself in a job search. So you have to go out there and think about things and like, okay, how many people can I add value to today, right? We're talking about adding value to people, potential employers, employees that you could have informational interviews with. This is such a simple way. Can you like their post? Once you get comfortable liking, can you comment on their post? Could you then move that to an actual conversation? Because like Donna said, you're keeping track of who you're talking to. We call that in your job search strategy spreadsheet. We need a shorter name still, but you put the list there and then you follow up with everybody um, afterwards. This is where it all starts. So Donna, I want to move on to another topic that we're seeing that seems that's kind of topical which is the, the asterisk next to different job posts, meaning that, yeah. that it's only on LinkedIn. So what is this about and why, why does it matter to job seekers? Well, it's, it's good to know that, that that person, that business, they're not going all over the internet collecting resumes. They're saying, hey, I'm, we're invested in LinkedIn and we're going to collect the resumes. We're going to find candidates hmm. here. And that means a smaller pool or it shouldn't yes. mean a smaller pool. And if it's a smaller pool, they're looking for someone more qualified. They are looking for more qualified candidates. So they're not, they're not drowning in yes. that sea of resumes. And let's go back to what we were just talking about. You know, this is another way of standing out. It's another way of, of saying, hey, these, these businesses don't wanna spend their days just searching for someone, right. <laughs> they want, they, they make it easier for them, for them to see you, for them to notice you. And simply sometimes by just noticing that's enough to differentiate you from that slew of other candidates. Yeah. And if you zoom out a bit more, what does this mean for LinkedIn? Obviously part of their strategy is to get employers to work exclusively with them, right? Which means it's going to be even more important to get on LinkedIn. Um, and to do all of the things we're talking about, build up activity, because it's not going anywhere. We always talk about how Microsoft owns LinkedIn and there is a large push to integrate LinkedIn more with companies around the world. This is part of that push. Yeah, and I mean, think about it this way. Like you go to Monster, you go to CareerBuilder, you go to these other platforms, 
all it is is a resume of that candidate. But when you're on LinkedIn, it's more than just that resume. It's that profile, it's their network, it's recommendations, it's, it's the groups they belong to, it's, it's their postings, their interests. You get such a much a clearer vision of that person than you do on any of those other job, you know, job seeking sites. I think in probably five to 10 years, Max, resumes are going to be gone because even if you go to an other job site, Nature Jobs or Indeed, whatever, the, what's on the top of everybody's resume now on the top right is a LinkedIn profile, especially for like PhD level jobs. And yeah. moving forward, it's going to be instead of upload your resume, it's going to be put in your LinkedIn URL, especially with Microsoft at the helm. I, and if they go, if that happens, if that happens, I do hope this is, this will be my big wish list because this is one of my big issues is I don't feel that your LinkedIn profile is your resume. And the reason is it's public and anyone can see it. And you don't want to put every single accomplishment out there because it can hurt your current company. It could hurt, you know, previous positions. Um, so if they do go in that route, if they go down that route, they have to make the profile, they have to create one that's more privacy, more guarded, more, you know, close. Maybe like a, yeah, maybe like a employer view versus a, I, Everybody I, and their brother view. <laughs> and I, I think it's, I mean, it's only a matter of time. I'm mean, like, even when we get resumes, I'm like, okay, what's your LinkedIn URL? Because <laughs> there's so much more information you can get. Like you, now you just want to see their profile. They're connect, like you said, it's just it's the way it is. And you, you brought up references. What, yeah. Why are these so important now? And, and LinkedIn's really pushing for this. I saw a new pop-up just mm -hmm. the last few weeks where even for an endorsement, it's asking for more information about why you're endorsing them, right? It's saying like, how do you know they have this skill? And there's more of an importance on references. Do you see this trend continuing? And if so, why, how, how to prepare? You know, I've, I've always said that between endorsements and recommendations, recommendations mean more. They're more powerful. They're more impactful. Now, I will say this. If you have no recommendations on your profile, I don't believe that you're going to be totally passed over. I, 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 I don't believe that's going to happen. But recommendations are a plus. And if you have no recommendations, try to get one. <laughs> and you can do it. Please, guys, you can do it. And, and to me, the easiest way to get a recommendation is to simply ask. Ask someone. Don't just hope that the good recommendation fairy is going to fly by your computer and just give you one. It doesn't work that way. Um, you have to ask. But even more so, you have to give them the wording tell the person what you want them to write. And if you don't know what they should write, how dare you even expect them to do it? Yeah. If you can't do it, they're never gonna do it. So you've, you've gotta write that recommendation for them or at least give them some bullets to follow. But yeah. why is it so important? It's the same reason it's always been important, which is with a recommendation, it leads back to that person's profile. You can see where they sit within an organization. You can see who they are. You can see what, you know, what kind of individual they are. So in some ways, it's even less, it's less what they say and more about who they are and where they sit within an organization. Mm. And that is huge because in the old days, you could give a, you know, a list of, you know, your, your, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, yes. and they wouldn't really know. But within the, recommend, within the LinkedIn world, those recommendations really do mean something. And, and I think everyone should have at least 
three current. Mm. I was just looking at a, a, a profile this morning, in fact, and he had a um, he had one recommendation from 2009, and um, the person who wrote it misspelled the word client. Oh. Yeah, and people make those snap decisions, decisions when they're skimming a profile. It's an employer, right? They're actually just looking for a reason to move on to the next one. And I think it's important to think that, okay, just because somebody else submitted this doesn't free you from the responsibility of making sure that it's correct. And I, I really like what you said about write your own recommendation. Make it easy for somebody. You know, you can phrase the ask appropriately where you're not telling them to post it, but just say, here's, some, here's a a template you could use to edit. Yeah, and I, I always say, I know you're busy. And so I've taken the liberty of writing this recommendation for you. Please feel free to edit or change accordingly. Mm, exactly. And so uh, again, lots of great stuff here. The last question I always wanna ask Donna is what else is fresh and new out there for LinkedIn, especially when it comes to moving from your profiles optimized to now getting attention on your profile. Yeah. So I've got, an, I've got something I've never talked to you guys about before. This is exciting stuff. And it goes Ready. really well with this idea of gratitude. And that is, I hope you guys haven't already talked about this, but it's the kudos. Do you, have, you, have you guys seen uh, yeah, kudos? No, we yeah? haven't used it. Not much. All right. So if you go onto LinkedIn and you can do this on your phone or you can do it on the desktop, but you go in, shall, shall I share my screen? Would it be yeah, easy if, sure. I, if I show people how this works? Because I know, sure. like, I don't think very, I think very few people have ever used this. So I'm going to share my screen if I can figure out how to do it here. I think it's the bottom center. It should be yep. up arrow. There we go. Share. All right. So tell me when you guys can see my screen. I can see it. Looks All great. All right. So right up here, it says share an article, photo, video, or idea. If you click there, do you see this little, oh, wow. this little thing? No one, no one ever touches it. No one does anything with it, but it's there. We click on it and it says, who shall we send this kudos to? Wow. I'm going to write in Isaiah. There he is. Great Isaiah. idea. All right. And then I'm going to hit next. And then I could say, thank you, Isaiah. Or I could say, no, going above and beyond. Oh, it's like a little picture. Could, uh, wow. Yeah, they have a little, I'm going to say making an impact because honestly, we all know that this is what Isaiah does. He makes an impact. So we're going to hit next. And look, it puts it up there with the hashtag kudos, making an impact. And I could say, thank you, Isaiah, for making such a difference. What a great idea. Yeah, I didn't even know this existed. So many. This is why we bring Donna on. People's lives. I think I need a. It's a picture of somebody uh, writing a piece of paper trash, so that's perfect. It's a crumpled baseball. <laughs> oh, okay, got it. And now here's the thing: we can also put in a few more. And, and I don't know, I don't know if you guys have talked about this or not, but no. I find that if you use those hashtags that LinkedIn recommends, it's it's a good thing. It's always a good thing. When they recommend it, go with it. Even if it's a little off, you're going to find that they, mm. they, they use their own little hocus pocus to, wow. to um, figure out, get, get more visibility to the post. And so I'm going to hit post now. And it's going to go out there. Isaiah, you will get a notification. Wow. This... Other people are going to see it. And so if, how about if you guys do this? Let's do this. Let's see if we can get some, some energy here. Visit my, go to my, my profile. 
Yeah, we can Once put that link in the profile. What I want you guys to do is then go down to my recent activities, see that post, and I want everyone who's watching this to like that post. And let's see if we can get this to go crazy. That's great. I, yeah, we didn't even know that existed. What a great, great insight. Please thank Donna for that insight. That's fantastic. We definitely have not covered that here. And I think you can link to the actual post. So I'll grab that link from our team on the page. I don't know if it, I think it goes under CL activity. Let me see if it shows up here. Should be under posts here. Oh, wait. Why it's important somewhere. Did you see it? Oh, back to posts. There we go. Sometimes it takes a little bit to we found uh, it. Do we find there it is? There it is. Got five likes already. Yeah, that's pretty good. Here, I'll put it in the chat box and then it'll make share it. Share it, like it, comment on it, guys. Let's get let's get this uh, this post all over the place. You can just say, yeah, Isaiah was slightly impactful. It was really Donna doing it. <laughs> but uh, this is great, Donna. Thank you so much. What a great insight. I think Mary, did you say there was a question in the chat box that we could close with? You caught me going to like that post. Um, yes, we have a couple of questions from the chat box. They're actually going back to the recommendations. Um, some of the people were asking how recent the recommendations should be. Can they be from former employers? I guess what they're getting at is who can you ask and, and, and when? I know you said they should be posted recently, but what does that mean? Can you just give us a little bit of... Think, think of it as like a rolling three. <laughs> so have three within the last two years. Mm -hmm. year and a half, two years. And then if you have other ones from the far past, if they're still, you know, if they're still relatively, um, um, you know, there's, there's some credence to them, there's credibility to them, they're not too far out in terms of what you're doing, you can keep them in there. But there's, there's also nothing wrong with getting rid of some of those older ones that have nothing to do with what you're doing today. Um, but absolutely, I mean, I think it's always a good idea when you're looking at a person's trajectory and you can see the different roles that they were in and they had nice testimonials throughout. Mm. That's, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I, I think that's important too, right? You want to make them relevant to the jobs you want. It's current as possible. I mean, think about it as when you're going to search for the best reference possible on PubMed for an, a journal article you're writing, same thing. You want, you know, you, what are you looking for? You're looking for current, but also relevant and makes sense. Um, uh, for that particular profile. So relevant both to the job you want and to your, your profile. So Donna, fantastic. I'm going to use that kudos thing a lot now. Um, really, really appreciate you sharing all of the information. Thanks for being on with us again. Appreciate it. Thank you guys. Bye-bye. This takes us to the end of another Cheeky Scientist radio show. Thank you for tuning in. And remember to join us for our next live show which we stream on our Facebook page as well as our YouTube page every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just go to facebook.com forward slash mycheekyscientist to watch us live or go to our Cheeky Scientist YouTube page again every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you want to learn more about Cheeky Scientist, you can go to cheekyscientist.com. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Pop, pop,